0: It is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. And the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Amari Global is the first-ever revolutionary mental wellness company focusing on the gut-brain connection for adults and children. Amari's holistic products are designed to optimize performance, positivity, and motivation. The products are made with ancient natural wisdom combined by modern science that supports mood, focus, stress resilience, and whole-body wellness. Whether you're an Olympic athlete or a stressed-out parent, Amari Global's scientific approach is designed to meet you where you are and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Welcome back to AutismRadio.org, home of the world's first autism
1: support radio network and proud 501c3 charitable organization helping families challenged with autism every day get services they desperately need. Please help us make a difference in the autism community and find it in your heart to support one in 88 families in America today. Donate directly at autismdonation.org. Now, stay tuned for a special broadcast of hope saves the day with autism activist, super dad and author of the spectrum diet, master chef and the hope man himself. Your host Paul Simmons.
2: Thank you for that great introduction. As always, it's great to be back on another edition of Hope Saves the Day. On today's show, I have a very, very special guest who's going to really share a wonderful story about her journey with autism, as well as her child's journey and some of the things that she's been doing over the many, many years of with the world of autism today. We'd like to really give a warm welcome to Christina Bauer. Welcome to the program today with us.
1: Thank you so much for having me here. I'm very excited.
2: Well, we're really happy to to have you come on and just, again, tell your story. Uh, It's an amazing journey. Um, Again, I know you grew up in Buffalo, New York, uh, and you have a very unique story to share with our listeners today. So why don't you tell us how you first kind of heard about autism or the topic of autism and kind of what impact it had on your life?
1: Sure. So when I was uh, uh, growing up in the 70s in Buffalo, New York, um, you know, there was no real I don't even think we use the term autism. But there was a thing of uh, does she need to be institutionalized, which was something that was a thing back then. And um, I was a late speaker. I was a hand flapper. I liked to uh, was the um, third child out of six children very close together. And uh, so I don't think my parents noticed that I didn't talk until five until I started talking and I would not stop telling stories. So, uh, which was okay because I was telling them to my sibs. But then when I got into uh, Catholic school, I would spontaneously stand up during first grade and Sister Virginia was not a fan and that I would just kind of, and I still remember very clearly the whole story that I had was building up during that period Um, so I was sent to a priest who had some experience with IQ testing or whatever, uh, to see if I needed to be institutionalized. And, uh, he's my first fan. He sat and listened to my stories for like 45 minutes and then he did some tests. I had to do some puzzles and answer some questions. And, uh, then he went back and told sister Virginia that she had to give me five minutes at the end of every day to tell my stories um, so, uh, so that was it. I was kept in school and I learned to kind of put on the mask and fit in more, stop telling my stories after a while. And, um, uh, and then when I, I, and my mind is very much engineering based. So a lot of the social challenges that folks in the spectrum have about that, it's hard for us to understand that for many people, things don't have to be right; they just have to look right, and that you know. So I, I ended up kind of going towards areas and places where things being right was made more sense. So I got into software and worked in with engineers there. And then when that stopped being so much about world building, I went back to storytelling, and now I've been doing that for uh, ten years. I've written forty-five books. Each one has a unique world. So I do that in Tolkien style. And about uh, twenty years ago, my son was diagnosed on the autism spectrum, and that's when I started kind of putting two and two together and realizing, hey, <laughs> a lot of this stuff that he's doing is the same stuff that I was doing, yeah. and um, and going through the the experience of back then it was you know just PDD NOS, not really a distinct. Diagnosis. Nobody knows why he's doing these things. No one knows what kind of therapies he can have. Um, And just sort of realizing that he was doing the same things in a lot of ways I was, which was uh, whatever looked odd actually had a reason. There was a reason I was telling my stories. And there was a reason that he was, you know, flapping his hands and doing the things that he was doing.
2: Did you feel like knowing that when you saw the correlation and the commonalities that you shared with your son, it really kind of brought that bond even closer together?
1: It did. It very much did. Yeah. And it, it made me, um, it, it gave me a lot of of strength for him. I had never been, uh, you know, I'd been more the peacekeeper and, you know, maybe that part of the storytelling thing. But when I realized, you know, um and remember what was happening, you know, I could be articulate and strong and say, you know he's he's four years old. he doesn't have the capability to be non-compliant If he's flapping his hands, he's got a reason, you know that kind of thing, which for us is was the right journey and it it's always hard talking about it because I know there's a parent out there where the exact opposite thing was true and that was their kid. But for me, with my experience, that was mine.
2: But don't you think, like, I mean, I was obviously from the time you were born, right, to today, like, so many of the stigmas have changed, right? Like, you know, I remember, again, when my son was diagnosed, we're almost, you know, our kids are almost similar in ages, right? It was like, they're not going to be loving. They're not going to be caring. they're They're not going to have emotions. And that was like the furthest thing from the truth, right? I mean, Oh
1: I, yeah, and he's I I he's could say Like that.
2: a love bug, he he likes to snuggle, he likes to hug. He's he's very you know affectionate, and I just remember the pediatric neurologist telling us this and like, oh, he's not gonna have, he's not gonna show signs of affection. He's not gonna, and it's like it, 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 our kids all prove that wrong, pretty much.
1: Absolutely, I, and I, I don't I, know
2: where I, that came hmm. from. You think about where did that come from? That that was considered the diagnosis of what the face of autism looked like, right?
1: You know, I think it, it goes back again to how you know uh, neurotypical minds work, where things are so visual and they have to match kind of, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, you know, yeah, and it, right. it has to match sort of like a template. And if you don't look social, then you can't have that inside. Whereas if you, you know, I, I often think if you had for a, a, a Jeffrey Dahmer in a tuxedo, <laughs> walk into a room and then you had a, a kid flapping his hands, most typical people would be like, oh, I want to go towards that sociopath profile because they look the right way. Right, but right. inside, it's all empty. Whereas-
2: love, There's a level of comfort, right? When they-, when yeah, they yeah, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that they can relate to, right? Yeah. I think it's a lot of relatability. If something is different to you, it seems strange and odd, right? Um,
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: The, that's what makes people beautiful because again i i have a different outlook about people in general and i love people and and i just find it fascinating that makes people unique uh in yeah. their own way you know and some people say well that's a really annoying trait well why do they do that or what what makes them you or what makes them them you know and so i think it's 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 fascinating honestly
1: i think we as a as a kind of category or group of people we have a really important message in this moment because, you know, there's some recent studies out where teenagers are getting so many of these visual messages that you don't measure up and there's big problems with depression and anxiety. And when you're on the spectrum, you're, you're much more focused on, you know, is this person acting consistent? Is this somebody I can trust, you know, and having these areas of of hyper-focus and joy that have nothing to do with, other people in their vision of you. Um, you know, I think that it's an important way of thinking, maybe that that might help
2: other people. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know, you know, Christina, that's why, you know, we wanted you as a guest today to kind of just shed a little bit of life from a different perspective of autism. And I think your story is really a beautiful one. And I guess, what are some of the biggest takeaways that you know, a message today for the parent who just, again, recently received the diagnosis of autism, or maybe they're in between, maybe their child is eight or nine, and they've already had a few years, and maybe they're struggling. What kind kind of advice or words you can give them of encouragement?
1: If I could go back, I mean, there are a lot of parents who have these stories about their kids who are now, you know, going to graduate from engineering at MIT or whatever. And no one thought that they would ever do anything. Um, my son is now, you know, 19. He can say six words in a row on a good day. And he is the most loving, pure, beautiful soul who lightens the world for everyone around him. And that's his, like, you know, purpose to be here. That's his gift. And, if I could go back in a time machine and look at myself when I when I first got the diagnosis, I wish I could say to myself, not every person is meant to make money and to have offspring.
3: Okay.
1: You know, all of us have a greater impact and purpose in the world and you're going to go on a great journey with this kid. You're going to have a chance to learn more about yourself and about each other and as a family and you can either go kind of kicking and screaming, or you can kind of try it. try to make it a joyous journey in a lot of ways. It's it has been fun.
2: You know, it's amazing. You're as you're talking, I'm thinking like my son and I hear this from others, like, you know, puts a smile on my face or or makes my day brighter. Like a lot of his therapists, a lot of his teachers say he's an inspiration because he's 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 a funny kid. Um, he has a really funny sense of humor. Um, you know, very, and again, autism has nothing to do with intelligence. people that may not understand what autism again. He has nothing to really do with intelligence, right? Um, he's very smart, very intelligent. And I think he knows more than I even realize or others need to realize what his abilities are. Um, because I really think he is self-aware of what's going on around them. He's very observant. He doesn't miss a beat. Um, so I think in a way he's watching people, he's watching us. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And I was thinking about this the other day because we was talking to someone and I said, I think in a way he's laughing at us because he sees us getting stressed out. He sees us, you know, doing all these things and he's like, you don't need to do that. And I feel like this is what he's thinking sometimes—that he's smiling because he'll smile at me, and I'm like, he's looking at me in a way where almost like telling me, "Why are you sweating this? Or why are you stressing out about yeah.
1: this?" I can speak to that from the side of someone who, you know, has an you know autistic type brain. Where for me, my experience, and you know, it varies, of course, is that I'm soaking in so much sensory data around me all the time. And if I spend more than, you know, 10 minutes with someone, I'm soaking in all sorts of things about who they are. Are they trustworthy? Are they, you know, are, are they going through a challenge in their lives right now? It took me decades of being in business meetings before I, I walked out and realized not everybody could go around the table and kind of pick out the inner life journey of each person, but I can't turn it off. You know, unless I'm hyper focused on something, and and then sure. I can yeah, up.
2: that kind of distracts you from that. But
1: yeah, I get a break. But yeah. you pick
2: up on a lot of things that people probably are not aware of. Self awareness, exactly. Of. Exactly. You're reading the room. You're reading probably the energy of the room. Absolutely. Uh, you pick up on cues that maybe most people that are considered neurotypical are not even paying attention to.
1: Exactly, um, like tiny little details. You, hmm. People will ask me, how do you get through 45 books with different characters? And each one seems so detailed. And I and I'm like, well, I've been soaking it up <laughs> for a very long time. And this is my way of kind of unloading some of that into the world in a way that can help other people, you know, at least give them a smile or, you know, um, so-
2: So let's talk about some of your books. So obviously you've written many, many books. Is there a few books that you wrote that really truly resonate with you that you're very proud of? And and which ones were they?
1: Uh, My first big seller is a book called Angelbound. And it's about, uh, you know, this is young adult action adventure. She's a part demon girl who fights evil souls in Purgatory's arena. And even as I was you know, kind of thinking through having this conversation with you and my experiences with Sister Virginia, I was like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) That was kind of me processing some of that experience of being this different girl fighting in her own way, trying to make the world a better place and perhaps a way that wasn't understood by other people, you know. Uh, And that one's definitely resonated with a lot of readers, which is great. And so it's kind of her story about uh, accepting who she is and uh um yeah
2: that's pretty cool now where could someone uh, find these books are they available on amazon are they are they online or where where could someone actually learn more about your books
1: sure so um all the major retailers i'm self-published so uh, but you know amazon barnes and noble the first eight books in the series, I also recorded as audiobooks. So if you like audiobooks, that's an option too. And, uh, you know, website, christinabauer.com.
2: So. so they want to learn more about you there. So I guess, um, what what are some of the new things, I guess, you're working on? Is there any current projects that you're working on right now?
1: You know, I'm looking looking at going back into a series that I um, that I started called Dimension Drift which is specifically focused on a uh, a girl who's like a computer programmer hacker. And what? that ties in when I was, <laughs> I had my own software company for a little while, and I co-wrote uh, an artificial intelligence patent with uh, Dr. Constantine Papagiorgio from the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. Mm-hmm. And now that the whole high-tech world is getting kind of in the rearview mirror, uh, I want to go back and kind of, uh, revisit that and sort of what that experience is like. Um, you know, what it's, what is it like to build a big software program and have it go out in the world and what are the fun and scary things that go on. Um, I feel like I'm ready to go back and look at that one again.
2: So let me ask you something. you talk about AI technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think of that? Are you afraid of that at all as a, as a human being? Cause people, some people fear AI technology.
1: Well, it reminds me a little of the early days when I got into software when we uh, I worked on Astound, which was one of the first PowerPoint uh, competitors, and people thought that's not going to work. People like bringing in these big black boards in the meetings and presenting them to people, and that's never going to go away. And then it was, oh, my goodness, it's all going to destroy. Advertising agencies are going to go away. So it reminds me of how it's in some ways that it's automating a manual task. There are going to be some low-level, maybe customer service things that you can plug in with AI. I'm not as worried about it on, you know, um, uh, I, I, I'm not as worried about it on, on a larger scale because the core technology, the way it's built is uh, is flawed. So I'll explain why. My patent <laughs> was the that the system was built based on what were the shortest amount of steps to get somebody from a customer service question to an answer. A lot of the AI systems and social media systems today are built on how do I keep you engaged for a long period of time? Now that often results in churning up your anger or your fear or your hatred, but it isn't um, exactly driving you towards any particular action out of that directly. Um, so it's not actually all that smart.
2: Okay. You know, it's interesting. I was curious what you think about Elon Musk and what he's doing with AI technology and and how he talks, you know, again, you being in the technology field yourself for many, many years, obviously everybody knows Elon Musk. So I am just curious what you think about what he's doing in his technology.
1: He's not a, uh, within the group, you know, but he's not a maker, So if you look at his early stuff, he got into PayPal with a kind of competing solution that was folded in. But his solution never worked. You know, he's adopted things and gotten them a little bit to work. But I don't he's not the it's not that uh, he's a visionary in the way that um, Wall Street wants to hear certain stories told. But real visionaries, you're out there just doing something and everybody tells you you're nuts. And then it's not until later on, I you know. And-
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: His his stuff just aligns too much with what will make a stock price go up for me to really be too impressed yet.
2: Get, get on board. Okay. That's interesting. So what do you um I guess envision like obviously for your your child? Um, getting closer, we talked earlier, like getting towards that age of 21, like what do you envision your child doing after at the age of 21 when, again, there's no more services available? Um, have you thought about a plan? And um, again, I know these are scary topics to talk about, but it's an important topic to talk about. And what does that it look is. like?
1: Well, we're in uh, my family. We're in Massachusetts. So it is there are support services that go on. Um it's just one of the things that um another mom on the spectrum talked to me about when my son was young and she said you know you're you're fortunate that he has that it's very clear to anyone who sees him that he's on the spectrum cuz my son it's hidden and uh I didn't understand at the time but looking back now I realize there are you know assisted living and group living situations that he qualifies for um, and in Massachusetts, the cutoff is being able to display an ADIQ. If you can go over that, then you there really are no services. So um, you know, there there are, like I said, group group housing and day programs that he can go into. Um
2: is there a long long like waiting list for these groups. I mean, is there enough availability?
1: So there is a long long waiting list um my my philosophy that served me well is uh i call it the three p's um polite prepared and persistent
2: okay
1: and there are these services but they can't kind of hand them out to everybody there's just not that that much out there and i find that if you if you call and say this is what i want to do and just be polite, persistent, you know, this is my third call, you know, whatever you guys can do. Um, You get kind of on an internal list of like, this is one of the people that's good to work with. And uh, I've seen where another parent meaning so well, but has so much rage over the situation with their child. And they, you know, they kind of approach support services people with a lot of anger. And as much as I try to imagine myself in their situation and as much as I want to be like, this is not really my mail and I I have to do the right thing. It's got to be hard to put as much effort in over the long haul.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that gives some great advice and, and perspective for, for parents to, you know, implement. Right. Um, and I think the other thing is don't wait too long. Right. I think a lot of times yes. parents wait and they say and then they get to 21 and they're like, OK, now I got to do something. And it's like they have to prepare a little. I mean, have you been preparing like a little yeah. bit prior? Even? So
1: the, the, the practical process here in Massachusetts, we got a um, uh, uh, we got into the adult foster care program. So that's uh, where we do get some compensation for our time, take care of our son at home after age 18. And then that is you have to get into D- the Department of Developmental Services and a lot of, there's kind of a long checklist. And each item I feel like is someone's way of saying, how much do you want it? How much do you want it? How much do you want it? So after a number of years, now we're sort of positioned in this pipeline for services after he turns 21.
2: Okay. So is I was curious, is there anything that your son loves to do? Any any certain things that he has uh, kind of obsessed with, <laughs> any obsessions?
1: He loves, he loves watching videos on YouTube. He loves singing. Um, and he's from a kid who could never uh you know make eye contact at all. He's now, you know, like you're talking about before, he's gotten he's gotten smart, you know, and he'll he's realized the power of this kind of like pure gaze into someone's eyes and he'll he'll like cut my face in his fingertips and tilt my head up so he looks we look right at each other and then he'll say cookie (laughs) so (laughs) he's also he likes his cookies (laughs) and he's figured out ways to get them
2: and I'm sure mom won't say no when he does that to you
1: uh, it's hard, hard to.
2: to say no, right? Hard
1: to say no. Yes. Yeah, especially when, you know, you know how much work that is oh, to I get, know.
2: To. you know, it, it's funny, you know, people sometimes will say, Oh, you, you know, my daughter used to get mad because she's, we said we spoil him, but it's, it's hard. It's hard not to, when he does something like that, like you just explained, you know, and, and I don't know, my daughter's sometimes she wants to get more tough love, you know, and, you know, and it's hard because you, you just, you, you want to be a parent and you want to be, Firm and we are, but there's just certain things that we, I think, sometimes let our children with special needs get away with. Um,
1: There's a little of that, but I would also say, from having been on the other side, this though your kid is waking up and living in a world that is constantly telling them you don't fit in, you don't understand how this works. Things like light bulbs and breezes and you know, snow blowers can be as painful as a bomb going off that's true. Uh, so um just kind of you know it it is there are a lot of times where people look and say uh you know you could be you could be tougher but i always feel like you have no idea what a great parent i have to be so you can think i'm a terrible parent. <laughs> you know he's he's got his he's got a lot of issues and you
2: know. and i think i think you know for us it's like we pick and choose our battles right something yeah. you're more lenient with other things you're not and um, certain things you have to be firm with. There's certain mm-hmm. where no, it's no, it's no. And that's it, you know, and he doesn't like the answer and he might get mad and upset. And, but he gets over it because he knows, okay, with dad, I can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. mom, he might get away with certain things and <laughs> dad, he can't get away with certain things. And it just depends. There's a certain things that he gets away with, with me and certain things he gets away with mom, you know? So, uh, it's kind of funny, um. But they're, they're, they're amazing. And I think that's, that's the whole thing, you know, you know, a lot of times I remember parents would call me and, and, you know, they would be obviously very emotional. And my key was to them was like, okay, you can feel sorry for yourself for 24 hours. This is my motto. Okay. Yeah. After 24 hours, brush it off, focus on your child. How do you make the best life possible for your child? and that's what you need to focus on and i know that's hard to do um and then it's about following the steps right giving them little advice little information um to help them get navigate the way because it it is an overload of information you know autism has changed so much from when you and i both our children were diagnosed so um you know and it's definitely a lot more out there today So what does it look like for you, your next projects um, that you want to do? Some last words you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, Uh,
1: I I think that the, uh, well, you know, there's always more books and things that I'm focused on. I think that uh, helping your child, I hope I can be an example of how creating an environment where your child can find their their joy and their passion will open up so many doors uh and possibilities. And it might not be uh in ways that that you would think were uh socially acceptable or 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 typical, but it might open up your life too.
2: I think don't put limits on your child, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Expose them to as much as possible, right? Um, little yeah. at a time. I, I think yeah. just never know it's lies, right? You don't know.
1: I, I started off just telling stories the minute I could talk, but I think so many, uh, it's such a natural thing to want to find a, a, a refuge of a of a, a favorite activity that will shield you from a lot of the pain and overwhelmingness of the world. And, uh, you know, finding that with your kid can be a beautiful journey.
2: Well, that's great. Is there anything else you'd like to mention to our listeners, how they can find you or follow you, um, learn more about you and get some of your books? And of course, sure. everything on the website and, and on autismradio.org. But anything you'd like to leave our listeners before we sign off for today?
1: I just realized I gave before uh, an, an inaccurate uh, uh, URL. So it really is ChristinaBauerAuthor.com. And thanks for having me here. I really enjoyed talking with you.
2: Well, it's been a pleasure, Christina. We'll have to definitely have you come back on, uh, give us some updates on what you're working on, you know, how things are going with your your child. Um, again, I, I think you you left some really good messages for parents that are, again, maybe looking for some answers or some advice. And sometimes it's just the littlest things can really click for a parent. And they're like, oh, okay. You know, and you just never know. You just never know who you're helping Um, And again, you know you're 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 living the life. You've walked the walk, and you've done (laughs) this, and um, you know shed a lot of light. And then also, again, you have a lot of great information out there too, and people can connect with you as well. And if they have any other questions, I'm sure you'd be.
1: Please do Uh, Instagram, Twitter. There's my emails on my website. I would love to hear from people.
2: That's great. Well, listen. Thank you again for being a guest today on Hope Saves the Day. We really want to thank Christina Bauer. For spending some time with us, and we definitely will have you come back on. Uh, we want to thank all our listeners, as always, for their continued support here on the program. Also, don't forget, April the 29th, we have our big fundraiser comedy show. Uh, tickets are available on autismradio.org. Uh, again, that is Jeff Norris, Amy Miller, and Dramarama are performing. Um, again, we have food wine, beer, and soda with the show for $50. And again, a hundred percent of the proceeds go to Autism Radio, which goes back to the families that are in need, as well as all of our programs that are free for all of our children that need activities and things to do. And also it gives reprieve for a lot of our parents as well to have an activity with their child. So again, thank you for your support. We wish everybody a great week. As again, we always like to end our program on this word that we've used for many many years now remember until next time everybody hope saves the day be well everybody
0: hi i'm elissa pizzell i work with amari global i am proud to announce that we have partnered with the autism radio family a cause that is near and dear to my heart continue to tune in to hope saves the day every week on autismradio.org And when you're snapping up your Amare products, don't forget to add promo code AUTISMRADIO to receive $10 off your first purchase.
3: Every time I see your smile, I wonder what you feel. Every time you laugh or cry, I wonder if it's real. You seem trapped inside Please help me understand What is your world like? I want to feel your love I want to know what it's like To laugh and play Imagine a thought that you cannot feel A tear trapped inside Imagine a sound that you cannot make No matter how are you try I want you to know how I'm feeling I want you to know how it feels to be me I wish you could look into my world and see how I see What kind of life will I have? What's in store for me? Don't be afraid Just love and hold me I can be all that I can be With your love I can do anything With your love I can see the world like rays of light shine upon me inside of me yeah, yeah. Then you are right by my side I will